0: Cradleline Network I am the law and this is the fourth episode of Big A Mac, Mac 1 my name is Conrad alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where Two Americans Patrol Their Way Through the Judge Dredd Magazine. This time, we're covering the Judge Dredd Magazine Volume 1, Issues 4 and 5, cover dates January and February, 1991. Um, this episode will conclude Midnight's Children, go out on the town with Chopper, reunite with America, learn some Judge Death or, or some uh yeah learn some judge death dog training tips and celebrate the conception of al's baby mazel tov. <laughs> if you want to read along with us you'll find the comics we're covering today and judge read the complete case files 15 and the america young death and al's baby collections um, so, and I should say, um, Eli, over on Space Spinner this week, I did a bit of a state of play going into the year 1999, or, or 1991, I should say, in the, uh, in 2000 AD. And there is a fair amount going on in, like, behind the scenes this year, um, in, um, in, like, the publishing of 2000 AD. I'll kind of get to it here as it kind of comes up, but I think the big thing to know is that there is this new in England, right in, in early ninety one? There's this weekly indie comic called Toxic that's coming out, and it's really causing two thousand AD and the magazine's editors to worry that this new this new uh, comic book that is offering much better, like a like licensing and publishing deals to their established talent, is going to like poach a <laughs> lot of their guys <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Uh, some healthy competition I guess it uh, does it well but that's that's funny
0: a little bit it definitely sort of puts the fear it it, it briefly puts some fear into these publishers Um, but honestly but it's sort of lucky for them that a couple people especially writer John Wagner has kind of a falling out with um, the editors of Toxic which means that he ends up just sort of staying with the Meg and redoubling his efforts there so we'll be seeing you know like he's he's Doing a t- like, like, he's writing half the magazine right now, and he'll sort of keep it about that pace. I think. I see. That's cool. <laughs> so let's um, jump right in. I think with our new story, <laughs> story one, Al's baby. <laughs> uh, Scripter about John Wagner, art wrote about Carlos Cascair, about Gordon Robson. So this one starts with like a flash forward, almost in a in a mega city school somewhere. Some kids are arguing if boys and if boys or girls are better. You know, that classic discussion. All right. And this gets the robo-teacher off on a tangent about how actually boys can get pregnant and stuff. And that takes us back to the actual story, to the city of Chi Town and Al's baby. Uh, there's sort of rumors going back and forth that this story without that one page of framing it to take place in Judge Dredd's time um <laughs> that this story might have taken place in or might have actually been a, a toxic story but that's sort of people go back and forth as to whether that's true or not
1: hmm. um so okay oh, what do you mean toxic story as in Oh
0: sorry that it would be in that uh in that new comic book I was talking oh, about toxic got
1: it okay that
0: makes sense sorry yeah. yeah, makes sense. Um, I should say also, this story takes place. You know, it, it came out in 1991, so it took place in the distant future of, I believe, like 2014 or 2015. You know, <laughs> well, I think we'll find that out next uh, next episode. But one of these ones where we have survived long enough for science fiction stories to start taking place in the past instead of in the future. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. Um. So. This story is told by Vinny of Vinny's Bar and Grill, and we meet Al Bestardi, aka Al the Beast, a big tough gangster in this slightly futuristic Chicago. Or Shytown, I guess. He walks into Vinny's bar, orders a glass of milk, and makes an announcement He's having a baby. Which means he literally is having it. <laughs> He's pregnant, and I'll kill any any of yous that makes a joke about
1: it,
0: <laughs> as one does, right? Yeah, you gotta be serious about this stuff. We flash back to Al meeting with the Godfather, Don Luigi Sarcoma, who I I don't know if this is a specific reference, but it sounds a lot like the SNL character. Uh, Don, uh, uh father guido sarducci i guess but just sort of generally sort of italian and silly names the sarcoma is like a uh a kind of like lung illness i think it's mm. something it's not good if you have a sarcoma i know that <laughs> yeah. um but we learn al al is the toughest guy in shy town and the only thing he's afraid of is the Don. And the Don says, hey, Al, you let me down because you're married to my daughter and I got no grandchild. I need a Bambino, Bambina to hold in my arms. Ah, and his bimbo assistants readily agree. Yeah, you tell him, Louie. Yeah, (laughs) shut up. It's good. Good backs and forths here. So he orders Al and his daughter, Velma, to get out there, have a kid right away, or he'll find someone who can. And that's rough, because while the dawn is the one thing that Al is afraid of, the other thing he's afraid of is his wife, Velma. (laughs) (laughs) So we go to the Velvet Room, where Al's wife, Velma, sings. And apparently she's real, real bad at singing. Terrible at singing. So bad that a lot of her audience are... Iowa pig farmers that have been shipped in because they like her voice for the purposes of pig calling or something like that. (laughs) Um, Al has a drink and just manages to get his earplugs out in time as she walks over to him. He explains that her dad wants them to have a kid, but she refuses because it would ruin her singing career. And then she grabs Al's gun out of his holster and just starts shooting at him a bunch of times to sort of punctuate her opinion about all this. Right.
1: Standard marriage stuff. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's a, it's a absolutely. Tuesday. That's how it goes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um then she, then she tosses Al a newspaper where it seems a Florida man, of course, has given birth. So now it's Al's turn. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this installment because it's actually not a lot happens, but there's just a lot of action between Velma singing and her like shooting at Al and stuff right. like that. It's, it's right. a fun, very slapstick kind of installment. And for all that she can't sing, I really love how Ascara's drawn Velma like as this like slinky, like Jessica Rabbit-esque Jezebel kind of mm-hmm. character. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the um – Uh, the singing but having no skill and uh just being terrible at it i believe there's a cat killing itself uh in the uh (laughs) beginning there (laughs) just just to really drive it home like no we're not joking this is it's terrible
0: and it's clearly she's just saying like oh baby over and over (laughs) again it's pretty ridiculous yeah definitely but yes yeah, so that's the start of this new thrill it's gonna be with us for a little while actually this is one of the uh another one of these iconic ones from the early days of the uh, magazine and i'm really excited just because this one's a real a really like uh like kenny who this one's really built to be a funny strip and so i'm excited for these for these jokes <laughs> next time on al's baby owl's up oh man oh no But so, from one end of the spectrum to another, from Al's baby to the story to America. (laughs) Scripture about John Wagner, art about Colin McNeil, letter about Eddie Parkhouse. So last time, Eli, we saw a bunch of terrorists, including America Yara, the long lost love of our narrator Bennett Beanie, ambush and kill a judge, and then they shot Beanie himself in the throat in the throat because he was a witness.
1: Right. That leaves out a pretty strong cliffhanger, if you ask me. Seriously, yeah. Again, we
0: talked about it at the time, and we've had an episode in between it. So it's really – we've really been putting some salt and pepper on that cliffhanger. Right. Just of the narrator of this story lying in a pool of his own blood, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but so at the scene, I think it's dreaded, but it could just be any dread. Judge really investigates, finds a note, pinned to the judge's body that says total war. And Beanie's taken to the hospital, and uh, Dredd again is there. He's on the lookout for these total war creeps. (laughs) But listen, that's just like, you know, some of these judge assassins, that's just the general theme of their workday. There's a big, like, judge crime fighting montage. Like, break them up, run them in, take them out, blow them down, bag them up, card them up, justice! That kind of stuff. (laughs) Right. They say it's to the theme of
1: Rawhide. That's right. what it is. Which is, uh. yes. I, I, it was funny. I was singing it in that tone before I read that. I'm like, oh, all right. I, I'm nailing this. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's
0: doubly funny, I guess, because, um, dread lives in the Rowdy Yates, uh, city block, who was the name of a character on Rawhide mm. and like who was played by Clint Eastwood, who's, of course, the, that, that, the act like the dirty
1: hairy actor that that's really true. inspired a lot of dread as well as this tough super cop kind of guy that's funny and i'm <laughs> also love, really loving the painterly element of you know this whole chapter that's uh, america's art style is quickly becoming some one of my favorites even though it isn't you know black and white ink like i'm addicted to but it's still um, <laughs> the, you definitely uh,
0: got got more color here in the magazine right, for
1: sure right but they uh, use a lot of soft shading and uh, they let the colors separate line they they don't use line hmm. to separate like uh ju- judge's uh, shoulder from the background they just let the color separate it and they Interesting. Just really understand it well enough to make that work
0: Yeah, no, i i really love colin mcneil's work too i think he yeah he really he gets a lot of emotion i think out of his out of his out of his art and like the just the the facial expressions and body poses of his characters <laughs> mm. and stuff i think are really strong yeah um, in the hospital, Be- uh, Benny is interrogated and he's got to speak through like a keyboard. And luckily, this disconnect allows him to lie more easily to the judge talking about him or, or talking to him and thus hide America's involvement in the shooting. He gives some information and the judges assume he's just trying to hide the fact that he was there like, like looking for a streetwalker, basically. <laughs> Later, though, um, once he gets out of the hospital, a delivery truck enters a fancy estate and there's a knock at Benny's door, and it's America with a bunch of flowers. <laughs> How sweet. I, I, although I can't tell if it's ominous or not that she wasn't the one driving the truck some dude was. Like, that's right. an interesting detail. <laughs> um, America has flowers and Benny's got a, a robot voice. Like, you can his word bubbles are like a hexagon kind of shape and he's got kind of a of of a tech like lettering for what he says and stuff it's kind of interesting because he's got a throat implant – because he's got like a robot voice until, until he can get a full throat implant. Uh, Benny's butler recognizes America from her picture on on Benny's nightstand and offers her a drink. Two of them talk into the night as it seems Amy, uh knows Benny didn't inform on them. And Bennett's clear um, that he did it for her and not her beliefs, which he disagrees with. Oh. <laughs> they eat and reminisce about the past – Benny in America both know it's just a matter of time before the judges catch her, but she's okay with that. Um, he offers her a chance to stay with him and put it all behind her, but she can't. Um, but she can sort of offer him some solace, and then they walk to his bedroom, and we jump to the next day. But I think we're we're, we're clear what happened here, buddy. Right. <laughs> Especially because the next scene, they're both sitting in bed naked, basically. Right. Um, There's your sign. In bed yeah, listen, you know, I feel, I, feel, I feel like you don't have to be the world's greatest detective to figure <laughs> out what, what, what happened. Um, <laughs> naked in bed, America asks Benny for 100,000 credits and won't say what it's for. It's better if he doesn't know. Benny's starting to doubt her motives about all this, so she explains what happened to her at the big democracy march, which we talked about in the primers. Um, how this peaceful protest and massive march turned into, turned to violence, how her lover, dude, was killed by the judges, and she was four months pregnant at the time, taken to a rehab unit where the baby just happened to be found with a genetic immortality and was killed. This trauma sent her to the Psycho Cubes, where she resolved to fight the judges no matter what. And she needs the money to fight to fight them, basically. Uh, Benny says he'll think about it as a future version of him wonders if he was being used. She said she needs the money by Thursday, and we sort of close with Benny saying that he'll he'll think about it. But it feels like he's on the road to accepting. I think. Right.
1: It ends with like Thursday. You said like um. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's where
0: so that, that that's to be continued. No slug line for that one. But yeah, crazy. St- I I really like just the uh, the deepening of this relationship between America and Bennett here. Mm-hmm. Right
1: now, it, it's, I guess this is an aside, but it always yeah. seems like when they give you know the whole life relationship, like oh we grew up as kids and we did these things, it always seems to get progressively more complicated as time goes on. You know, like oh we're kids mm-hmm. and we're just playing around and you know uh, you know trouble or whatever. But then, you you know, you're an adult and you're like, your friend shot me in the throat and then I had to go over there. You had a kid at the march that came, you know, it just becomes like this uh, yeah. leaving network. I mean, network. I
0: think, well, hey man, part of that's just growing up, you know, right. relationships get more complicated and stuff, right? Yeah. I, I just find
1: <laughs> that interesting how it, yeah. you can start with something so simple and then, you know, 10 years later, it's a whole network of tragedies upon revelations upon tragedies.
0: Yeah, all these different things, like, oh, then it turns out, apparently, yeah, just that this giant city is kind of, a, still has some small town energy mm-hmm. of, like, but then I knew that guy, and that guy betrayed me, mm-hmm. like, oh, man, mm-hmm. what are the odds, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> so don't grow up, kids. That's really the the message. Yeah, think, definitely. Get yeah, I think we can all agree with that.
0: <laughs> just, yeah, stay simple. You know, you're angry because they took your ball. Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, speaking of, uh, of, of kids having complicated mm-hmm. lives, <laughs> you like right <laughs> this is a good setup for sure thank you very much uh story three young death scripture about john wagner as uh, uh brian scudder yes art robot pete peter doherty lettering robot gordon robson so in the present i guess judge hershey or some lady judge is a, yeah, I know it's hershey is checking on the autopsy of writer brian scudder He's been identified, and it seems he died of a massive heart attack, which is no big deal, except, of course, his body was found in a chem pit, which is weird. And he's just published an article about Judge Death being alive and in the city, which is sort of a big deal. Especially because when Death kills you, he causes a massive heart attack, you know? Right. Um, so Hershey goes to run this info to Psy Division because obviously they'll be interested. And then we flash back to uh, Scudder talking to Judge Death. To actually get some baseline interview questions from death, um, we learn that the monster's true name is... Sydney.
1: Whoa. Right. I was a little disappointed by that name, to be honest with you. Uh, but it seemed appropriate. Like, yeah, I, mean, you know, I, th- I think <laughs> that's the joke,
0: to be honest, <laughs> is that this guy is so evil and he's got a really, like, so, sort of, like, like nerd name or something <laughs> like that, you know?
1: Careful right. right. you make fun of, kids, you know, they're they're judged death
0: or they're just like putting giant spider squids on your face or something like that Um, he rejects most of the other questions especially about how old he is and finally we get to the history oh my god I've been waiting on a world not unlike Judge Dredd's, Sidney was a real jerk kid with like a tiny upturned nose. And we see him laughing as he hurts his dog Woofy. Basically, the dog likes the ball, and so he like lifts it up and the dog hits his head on the bottom of a table over and over again. It's a real jerk move. And his sister agrees with me, because when she finds out about Sydney, she tells their mom, and thus Sidney has no choice but to punish Woofy for getting him in trouble. So he throws that ball off the side of a cliff, and the dog ro- jumps after it and dies.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised that Judge Death was born a sociopath. You know, that... Yeah, I, I might have been able to guess that if you... It was a multiple choice. I might have still rough, that.
0: you know. Boo! Be nice oh, to dogs. All right, exactly. People
1: are <laughs> very uh I had an illustration about uh, this dog protagonist, and uh, the fans were very serious about if anything ever happened to that dog. It was uh, a <laughs> yeah. uh, dog of not, the dead. They yeah, were absolutely. not having
0: it. <laughs> So now we're in full flashback mode um, for telling for telling on him about Woofy. Sydney sneaks some kind of giant murder spider, like furry spider squid, onto his sister's face. She wakes up screaming. Mom instantly knows it was Sydney that did it. Your monster child. Yeah, <laughs> where, Who else is going to find
1: one of those? You know. Uh, yeah, come on. Where he's getting poisonous spider squids from. That he's obviously into something nefarious.
0: Yeah, I mean, those things don't just walk off the street. Mm. You know, come on.
1: Cut his allowance or something.
0: Seriously. (laughs) It seems that his sister didn't die, but Death has learned uh, several important lessons. One is that Death is the ultimate answer to the problems of life. Like, listen, Wolfie's a pretty solid dog once he was dead and Mm. his sister survived and she's just being a huge jerk about things. Mm. Like, what's better, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And the second uh, lesson, which is, of course, don't get caught you know for real Um, (laughs) we later see young sydney shooting birds with like a laser rifle or something like that as his parents look on slightly concerned his mom's scared about what's going on with this kid but his dad thinks it's all perfectly normal so in the end the dad agrees to take his son to work with him and there's kind of an aside here by scudder about death sort of remembering this wistfully um, his father, after all, is a master of pain and suffering—a dentist. Da da da. Really, honestly, I, yeah, I was definitely thinking that, or just the musical sting of. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the the, uh, the musical Little Little Shop of Horrors. No, I haven't. Oh, uh, it's a good it's a good musical about a giant alien killer plant. Oh yeah, but, okay, I have seen it. <laughs> There's the side where, uh, in the movie version, it's Steve Martin who's this uh, evil dentist, and he's like, "You'll be a dentist. Mm-hmm. You'll take pleasure in causing folks pain." That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good song. Um, in a mobile dentist office, we see Sydney's father completely paralyze a patient, then just start smacking the crap out of him before preparing to remove every tooth in their head. He's an ultra, ultra evil dentist, not like the normal evil kind, right?
1: you just got to pay extra for that. Uh,
0: Seriously. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I'm not going to I'm not going to walk into a dentist office and pay for you to extract all of my teeth. Right. And like you know. that's <laughs> the the, the upcharges, you right. know?
1: And I guess I mean that's the sign of um, uh, tough dentists. if they have uh, uh, if you come to a van and it's a uh, an old beat up van and they're like, "Hey, dentistry." then yeah you probably need to you know reevaluate your coverage yeah. you know uh, yeah it's true you want to pay a
0: little bit more next time and um, open enrollment comes around or right. whatever
1: i did feel um, bad yeah. particularly about uh, de- young death's mom uh, because she's like, yeah. you know, I think there's something wrong with our son because he, our dog died, uh, put a poisonous of, thing on our yeah, daughter. because of
0: all, all all this stuff he did.
1: And all these, <laughs> these, uh, he's shooting birds, uh, in the head and, you know, it seems no remorse. We really shouldn't have bought him that laser gun. But, uh, the dad's response is like, hey, when I was his age, this is just typical red blooded, you know, boy stuff. You wouldn't right. get it.
0: Yeah, and she's like and she's like, yeah, no, I know. I can <laughs> That's not the good explanation you think it is, you know. <laughs> All right. But yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, Judge Death's mom is completely ju- right and justified in what she's talking about, for sure. Right.
1: I'm at least hoping the parents have a conversation about it later, you know. Uh, that marriage is definitely unstable already, as it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. I'm wait- that That's the real twist I'm waiting for, is the uh, <laughs> what happens to Death's parents. I yeah, assume right, they die.
0: Marital counseling in the Death House or something like that. Right. Oh, man. So <laughs> next time on Judge Death... Worms, worms, worms. Which doesn't sound promising at all. <laughs> but that takes us, let's take a quick break for some covers and editorials. Actually, no, maybe uh, covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Yeah, I think that's better. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh issue 4 is one mean mother. Carlos Escarra draws out Al- draws the fine owls baby cover though I would say not the best owls baby cover that one's coming a little later. Um the editorial both introduces the um owls baby story and tries to place it in the judge tread timeline which is pretty funny. Like the initial selling point of the magazine was that it was all going to be stories like set in dreads world. And so I think it's pretty funny that like the first replacement story is one that's clearly just sort of a sci-fi story as opposed to a specifically a dread one, you know? Yeah. Um, then uh, mid-issue, there's an ad for Judge Powell, which infor- which is basically the Justice Department scheme to get you to uh, inform on – for kids to inform on their parents to win cash and prizes. And then at the end, there's a card you can use to subscribe to the magazine and the first dreadlines, which is the magazine letters page answered by Judge Powell himself. Uh, letters are generally complimentary as you'd expect though there is one angry one basically just about chopper being brought back to life and stuff and not liking the current story <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta shift in at least one negative letter in your letters page so people uh-huh. think it's on the level you know what i'm saying yeah, exactly. yeah it's not believable if it's all positive exactly and like honestly i i i rare like I think it's more – for all these letter pages, like I don't think they fake the letters, but I do think they choose what letters they print mm. based on what they're thinking and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, I don't think – so like I, I think if there are things where it's like editorials deciding like, all right, we want someone to, we want someone to say they like this story. They're more likely to just pick a letter that says that as opposed to writing their own letter. Right. You know, they're busy guys basically. Yeah, makes um, sense. <laughs> so then we go to issue five a screaming face in a visor the midnights are going head to head with dread this close-up cover by duncan for the editorial's stoked about the positive reception the Meg's getting teases both the upcoming batman dread crossover the dread movie as well as mentioning that this one's gonna have the end of midnight's children which we'll talk about soon and that in turn as we learn the news of the fake or of the real comic eli Let's learn the news of the fake city that it's set in with Story 4, Mega City News. Uh, Mega City News, script robot Tony Allen, art robot uh, designer Shanti. So we've got another installment of the fake Mega City One newspaper here. Uh, this one with, the, with that article we saw in Young Death, this issue about um, Judge Death being alive and living next door to you. Uh, <laughs> And I like that they're actually – like it's sub blurbs is all info that we learned this comic. Like, oh, his name is Sydney, He abused his dog. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, inside, there's an interview with a judge that admits that they're just a bunch of fascists. There's more block tax drama, which has been running through all of these things. And then a pretty funny comic strip, I thought, the uh, the normal, healthy, unexciting, almost extinct, hibernating turtles. Which is. <laughs> Sort of done in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle font, but is just kind of a real turtle kind of sleeping, basically. (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. There's a big full-page ad for getting wholesale organs and personal ads that seem to short out and have a system error at the end, kind of all the letters falling to the bottom of the page in in a big clump. Um, in issue five, more fake news. The Justice Department demands that you smash stuff the second it malfunctions. So you have to go buy new ones. And there's also sort of some advice for how best to smash things. Like get a professional to shoot it with a laser. Don't just throw it out the window. That kind of stuff. <laughs> um. Oh, there's also an article about a local a local boy becoming god, and we learned that the paper used to make this newspaper was made from the last tree on earth. <laughs> uh, um, dark. Good. Yeah, very dark. <laughs> all of the uh, there's a personals or there's like a, a an advice column where everything's being answered by a mid '90s uh, ha- hatchback car, and my horoscope says that it's a good time to get rid of all my surplus stuff. So good times. And speaking of um finding your own way, Eli. Speaking of uh, of uh of uh making sure that 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 things are nicely photographed, I guess. Let's continue <laughs> on to story five, Chopper. Uh, Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot John McCree and Phil Winslade, letter robot Tom Frame. Uh, So even following uh, Marlon Shakespeare, a.k.a. Chopper, and his surfer buddies after their base was all shot up by satellite lasers and stuff like that. Uh, Back in Oz, Judge Bruce gets visited by Jug Chopper and the rest of the survivors from Drongo Springs. Um we've see, we've met Bruce before. He's kind of like an Australian judge Dredd, basically, like sort of the iconic Oz judge, I mm, guess. Right. And definitely like a different uniform. Oh uh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. The Oz guys have they like like they instead of a helmet like Dredd has, it's kind of like a like a hat with like a yeah. visor built into it right. and stuff. And I should say Bruce is a very stereotypical, like, joke Australian name. That's sort of the uh, <laughs> the comedy we're seeing here. Um, so, and he, but he's he usually willing to go to bat for his buddies jug and Chopper against the Chief. But the moment he asks about the situation, the Chief goes, gets on his bike screen, and says he's being transferred to Chunder Range. Oh no, it sounds pretty bad, to be honest. <laughs> Meanwhile, the massive Stig Earth movers are headed towards Drongo Springs, escorted by Oz judges. Um, as they're headed, as they observe this, Derek explains, like a bit about, or oh, sorry, he, what, uh, his like executive asks him how exactly he's going to harness the power of the song lines once they get there, and we kind of learn that he doesn't really have a great idea of how he'll do it. Like he's like, oh, there's got to be like a control stone or something, right? Like how how hard could it be? It's like
1: <laughs>
0: you didn't know that already. You didn't know what how to do it going in, buddy. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, he's a like, he's a big picture guy. He's not a, a detail guy. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. His plan is mysterious, not well thought out. Then Derek sees Chopper just flying through the skies of the city and freaks out.
1: Oh, he's supposed to be dead. Right. We <laughs> lasered
0: that Del- guy. Yeah. The lads meanwhile head back to uh, Jug's like penthouse apartment where they see uh, Charlene, Chopper's uh, girlfriend, is taking care of Koala Stan, who I guess they picked up along the way, this uh, Australian Aborigine guy. He's just woken up and explains the situation that the judges are working with the bulldozers and they're all headed to take to destroy Django Springs. And he sort of identifies Chopper as this uh, child of the wind, like a spiritual type person, a person with spiritual importance, I guess. Um, later, Chopper uh, storms into the chief judge's office. And the judge explains that, or in the chief explains that because of Derek O'Hearn's blackmail, he's got no choice but to help these evil suits. But if they could get those photos, who's to say, you know? But to do this soon the boys are over at the Everage Club to see the boss of all things perverted in Oz, Dame Judy. Who's this big hairy fellow in a bustier and high heels, the wax mustache, and is pretty clear? I don't know if you're familiar with this character, Eli. Uh, ha- have you heard of a Dame Edna? I haven't. Um, they, they're like a—I uh, guess you'd call it like, like like a drag persona of this okay. Australian comedian. I guess. Got it. Okay. Who's, you know, <laughs> so he, he like dresses as this like lady who wears these, wears really flamboyant clothes, especially like a big crazy cat eye glasses and stuff like I that. I see. Oh,
1: well, they, they nailed it. They definitely got the reference there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And she kind of like, you know, is like a talk show host and makes jokes and stuff like that. She had a, Damon, that came to the US briefly in like, I feel like the early 2000s, I guess, but didn't make too big a mark, I suppose. I see. Um, but yeah, but this is this joke, and that and that's a big like Australian comedic character, so it's pretty solid. Like these, <laughs> these are the Aussie jokes, basically. Is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. <laughs> and I should say also that uh, the average, like, like, like the name of this club, average is uh, Dame Edna's last name. She's Dame Edna Average e- uh, or whatever. Okay. So Checks Dame out. Judy, Ex- yeah, it's a whole thing, you know, li- like the, like this. I'm trying to just get these layers of jokes <laughs> in here. It's a whole thing um yeah so dame judy explains that Derek O'Hearn works for the stig corp which the guys didn't know at that point gives them the address of the photographer that took the pictures they apparently she apparently or judy makes a joke about chopper's name here as well which i'm not quite sure of but whatever he's like i'm tired of those jokes (laughs) um back at corporate hq Derek O'Hearn is hiring a private assassin to take down Shopper so they all harass Derek's assistant and this assassin, and it's funny that they've gone from like fancy space lasers to what seems to just kind of be a drunk guy with a pistol in order Christ. of assassins here
1: <laughs> Yeah, but that, the laser really cut into the budget, you know, you gotta seems like it, yeah, no, this
0: is sort of out of, out of pocket change basically because <laughs> I, I, I know he's definitely Derek's already definitely told corporate that Chopper's been killed so we can't just be like, oh, well, can I get some more money mm. to actually kill Chopper this time? Right, right. Like That would not be a good move. Um, but yes. Yeah, so anyway, all this is prologue it doesn't matter because soon they'll be able to hook up the song lines and everything will be fine, so just stop hassling me. I got a plan because um, my name's Derek or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> a man screams in the night as chop an upside down man i should say screams as chopper casually eats something it's that photographer and the other guys are holding him upside down high above the oz harbor to get him to uh, talk about these pictures he agrees to give him the photos of the chief judge as chopper prepares to confront o'hearn before they go his buddy moke is who's i, I believe was the guy that was high on vi- on all kinds of stuff at the start of the story wonders why chopper's doing all this stuff and is willing to accept like you gotta wonder as an acceptable answer i guess (laughs) (laughs) but luckily then charlene comes in and he's like wait a minute like don't you don't gotta be a nihilist or weird about this stuff like these people are trying to destroy our home and literally kill us like that's a that's a decent reason to fight against them you know like come on Buddy, this is like a, a good thing you're doing. It's not just flying out to Super Surf 11 knowing you'll be killed because you've got some sense of glory. Like this is like preserving a house and home for your lover and your unborn, children, unborn child or whatever, you know? Right. Anyway,
1: enough of my, of my preaching, I, I guess. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> where wanna... it looks – Okay, uh, I, I did want to add that uh, they they uh, do take a fairly dark tone uh, on Chopper, like the whole uh, mafia shake down. You know, hang, hanging a dude by his ankles. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and even the way they shade Chopper for the rest of this chapter is like, you don't want to mess with this guy. Like, you know, he's got he's no, got he's, a mission, and he'll he'll yeah. do stuff.
0: He's going full Batman in here. Right. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Elsewhere, it looks like that assassin is just enjoying a fancy drink with an umbrella as Chopper sneaks up on O'Hearn in his own office. Oh, geez. (laughs) Chopper leads Derek elsewhere as Jug, Moke, and the photographer rifle through the executive's desk. They snag the photos, check out his, his desk pistol and take the clip out of it, then prepare to head out. But what about the photographer himself? They don't want to keep dragging this guy around. Elsewhere, chopper does the natural thing and knees Derek in the balls, and then flies off. (laughs) Right, the oldest trick in the book. (laughs) Definitely. Listen, this is that's that's the go-to that that's always Plan B for me. I'll say, (laughs) like maybe I'll I'll think up something else to do. But if that doesn't work, then just knee in the balls and run (laughs) is a decent (laughs) decent second thing uh chopper heads through the uh, this office block dodging suits and security smashing through the glass elevator shaft to safety it seems the photographer was left behind with a broken nose and jug and since jug jug pocketed the ammo from the desk gun Derek can't shoot him he like pulls a gun and shoots him, but it goes click because it's got no bullets Things go from bad to worse here. Security comes in and they're like, uh, hey boss, so while we were shooting wildly at Chopper, we may have accidentally killed your like chief executive and your secretary while they were boning
1: in a closet. So uh, you know. <laughs> sorry. All right. So I gotta let people know you're boning in the closet. You never know when a shootout might happen and you don't yeah, wanna hang, be hang a sock,
0: you know, just let people know. <laughs> You know, just that, that they, you know, specifically that they should not come a knocking. Right. Nice. <laughs> office supply closets are rocking. You uh, know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um as all of this is happening the assassin calls in totally drunk and shooting up the bar where actually it seemed like he tracked him correctly because this is the bar where the surfers are handing off the blackmail photos to a judge and ridiculously he shoots moke a couple times and then gets his brain blowed out by by that judge which is ridiculous Moke dies in Chopper's arm wondering arms wondering what what the point of it all was and this is a real downer for this yeah. section of the, <laughs> of the
1: comic for sure right yeah it's the journey though you know that's the you know he apparently he never read that book or watched that movie uh no it's a, a lot of death in this uh chapter and yeah, yeah. So they're getting back to that dark uh, element uh, Chopper's stories seem to be like look at me I'm a redbuck kid to Oh, look at me! I'm a surfer dude. To look at me, this is life and death. To all right now, there's uh, you know we're getting to some gentrification, some corporations, and now people are getting <laughs> lasered to death. And now now we're in the bat dark night, you know, area of Chopper's life where he had to become a vigilante, and you know the uh, heads have to roll. Yeah,
0: no, there's definitely definitely a lot of variance within these Chopper stories right. for sure. Yeah. Like in the, just <laughs> even in the same story, right.
1: Yeah, when Chopper was introduced, I would have never have thought that someone was going to get lasered, and then his best friend was going to get shot by an assassin. Uh, <laughs> right. In... <laughs> although,
0: on the, although counterpoint, like in terms of just depressing things, like when we first met Chopper, he was like graffitiing the walls and kind of had this feeling of like, oh man, like we're we're basically just the same as robots, <laughs> like designed to sort of work and die in this in this terrible dystopia city. You know? Right.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's the thing because it's um. Uh, just in Judge Red, that seems common. So I was like, okay, now right, he's saying the stuff, but I mean, what what are they really gonna do about it? And then yeah. Chopper showed me, oh, there's there's quite a few things yeah. we can do about it. Win a race, buddy? How about that? Right. For sure. I'm going to a different <laughs> uh, different country. Uh, sh- I'll yeah. show you. <laughs>
0: And speaking about uh, living in Mega City 1 and wanting better things for your kids, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: going to give that one a, a nine. That was a, a Ooh, thank you. Yeah, time.
0: no, listen, I'm feeling pretty good about it, mm-hmm. I got to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Story 6 Midnight's Children. I've been following this one for a little while. A script about Alan Grant, artner about Jim Bakey, a about Tom Frame. So a bus filled up with tourists or something from uh, Midnight's Club is is, is a heading out as Mr. Midnight explains that he can't come. He's got to wait for his brother Nimrod, who you'll re- recall we saw get killed by Dredd in the um, last episode. He's tossing money into a big vault and vowing to kill his brother himself, as you do. Right. Meanwhile, Dredd gets the info on Nimrod, who's apparently just been released from a psychiatrist's care. As like being not violently insane, and Dred's like, "All right, like someone call that psych- that psychiatrist up and have him arrested as well. Uh, <laughs> go for the rest of the family." And he goes, so he goes to arrest uh, uh, Johnny Midnight um, on his own. Meanwhile, the bus arrives at Midnight Towers, where folks are loaded onto balcony stands overlooking a big pit. And a couple of Jews are herded towards the pit just as the patriarch of the Midnight families wheeled out onto the balcony, and you'll recall that he's just a head attached to like a chair or something like that. <laughs> um anyway, these um it seems like it's time for a fight as um, the MC brings out one of the Juves and then their opponent in this gladiator battle is a big spiky red mutant called Kevin. He's got red skin, but otherwise he's all teeth, claws, and back spikes. And he quickly kills this Jew just in a fountain of gore, basically uh back at the midnight club dread comes storming in he's like beating dudes up and when they try to call johnny midnight to warn him he like shoots the phones out of their hands and stuff which is pretty solid um meanwhile johnny himself pockets like just stuffs his coat full of coat pockets full of cash um surf jacks a pack a passing sky surfers board and then flies off with the board's proper owner just sort of trailing behind him on like that uh lifeline thing that like surfboards have um Dred looks on but he uh Johnny Midnight quickly loses control of the sky surfboard and just goes smashing into his flash into a into a passing helicopter and just sort of gets side uh uh wall pizzaed, basically. Right.
1: And I mean it's it was you got to get that guy unattached from the board. I mean that messes up the equilibrium, the balance. You can't yeah. drive that thing. You're setting yourself up for failure, mm. for sure. Right. I guess he, does, he, he won't need to learn that lesson a second time. It looks like that's mm. a one-time, one-time Yeah, no, he's got he's, he's to he's take that to his next life, basically. <laughs>
0: you know, got to wait for reincarnation for that one to, to stick in. Um, back at the arena, Kevin's victorious over two more victims as, Fu, as Mr. Fubar and Maggot load the bloody corpses into their dump truck. But as they roll out, they bump straight into Judge Dredd. Oh, oh, what a coincidence! He orders them to pull over, but they just try to ram through him instead. Dread dodges, shoot their tires out, and they go crashing over an embankment, both dying in the crash. And Dread checks the trunk, checks the back of the truck, and finds the dead bodies inside. Looks like their father is keeping up the family tradition of crime, <laughs> or something. <laughs> So I guess speaking of family traditions, we now learn the life story of Father Midnight. He lost his legs in the 2070s, so he had himself cloned for grins. Like, oh, his wife as well as his legs, I should say. But so he had himself cloned for grins. He's remembering this as this red dude is just killing people. And he himself is sort of having this monologue about how, ah... Oh, Look at me, look at all these people cheering for blood sport. Oh, it's what have we come to? And it's like, well don't don't host the blood sport then, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like come on.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those um he enjoys it himself, uh, but knows societally, you know, it's frowned mm. upon. So it's like, you know, oh, we're so naughty, you know, all this crazy blood sport yeah there definitely do, do seem to be a lot of things
0: that he's doing that he also sort of frowns on himself for doing it I guess right and he definitely does cheer when Kevin like soccer ball juggles a human head as well you know right
1: right well, it is a spectacle um, it is a treat yeah so <laughs>
0: definitely <laughs> the underclass Juve gang is brought out as Midnight remembers losing his arms in the year 2099, which is right when Dread's, the Dread comic started. So he had another clone made, this time Nimrod, and then Judge Dred's here to visit. In the fighting pit, one of the underclass gang grabs a cattle prod from a guard and uses it to zap Kevin. But Kevin does not seem to be particularly phased by it, and these guys are in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> definitely so midnight meets with dread and we see that he's got like a, a living room full of like human furniture like just sort of dudes with cushions on them basically that you can sit on <laughs> and he's like i guess it is the latest fashion right. and does keep people employed so whatever right
1: decadent definitely <laughs> oh absolutely Ball. yeah
0: so dredd has got the goods and all this stuff you has got a dead body in this truck leaving midnight's garage as well as the dead bodies of Midnight's two sons for god's sake mm-hmm. <laughs> Dredd prepares to arrest midnight but his robot butler can't allow that so he hits a button and drops Dredd through a trap door oh no mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> father midnight's saddened by the death of his son so he heads back to the arena as the underclass is being eaten alive, dread drops down. And as he does, he drops his gun. Oh, no. And then one of the jubes grabs it but forgets the number one rule of megacity crime, which is that the judge's guns explode if you try to use them when you aren't a, gu- a judge. Come on.
1: Right. It's like a blade's katana, you know, the, the vampire uh, hero from Marvel yeah that katana yeah. where if you if you touch it got some, spikes just pop out and cut your fingers off.
0: Yeah, he has got booby yeah. traps, you know? Right. You got to be careful. Right. And you think everybody would know that if you're a criminal in Mega City 1? Right. But but I guess it's same- I think they teach you very early on, <laughs> <Right>. you know. <laughs> I guess
1: same thing as trap doors. I'm always I'm always amazed whenever a trap door is used. I'm like
0: usually you the can, Placement it, of it was amazing <laughs> <right>. for sure.
1: <laughs> you think you that's the first thing a judge does is some trapdoor scanner. Oh, this this is obviously a trapdoor. Let me not stand above it. Oh, yeah. It
0: might just be such an old school move that he wasn't expecting <laughs> it or something like right. that. You uh, know? I, could, I could see that. <laughs> so the exploding gun destroys the balcony over the arena. And soon spectators are falling into the pit and Kevin's climbing out of it to attack them and stuff. Dred's got no choice but to step in the hard way. So he draws his boot knife and goes one on one with the mutant. Things are looking bad until... Father Midnight shouts to kill Dred, instead call the beast to attack him instead. Before he knows it, Kevin is attacking him, even as Midnight remembers cloning Kevin after he lost his body to East Meg nerve toxins Uh, in the Apocalypse War. (laughs) (laughs) That guy has some stories. Lost his body. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Kevin recognizes his father, but only after he's accidentally ripped him out of his life support chair and killed him. And this seems to cause him to come along peacefully for, uh, with dread. <laughs> Soon the lawman's getting patched up and they can link like a hundred missing person cases to the Midnight House. The family that slays together stays together until death do they part. (laughs) Uh, The end of Midnight's Children. uh, Yeah,
1: I really uh, like this one. I don't know if it was just because the dad's wacky stories about losing body parts as time goes on. You know, there's gotta be a point where you're like, you know what, maybe I'm supposed to die. You know, maybe, maybe I don't need to keep cloning myself. Uh, now that I'm just a head, like, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, once, once you aren't even like a torso, you know, it's like, okay, like I feel like I've had a good run.
1: But you I do, know, I do find it interesting because it, uh, I find this element of him. So it's like him being a human, he loses parts, he clones himself for it. And that, uh, new clone, becomes more and more monstrous as it goes like the very last clone is actually like a weird demon thing uh but uh is the one that survives like uh the thing that admits that it's a monster is the thing that lives but him Mm. being a monster but not admitting it he keeps getting dismembered his son is a monster but you know he's he's fine you know i'm just gonna go you know do my crazy stuff he ends up dying the other son's also nefarious, and he does a thing. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's some type of symbolism going on within this character.
0: But Interesting. But I'm probably
1: looking too much into it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think it is really I, – I think one thing that's kind of weird is that he keeps he keeps cloning himself, but not doing that thing where you, like, uh, transplant your, your brain into, like, one of the clone bodies or something.
1: Is, is that a common tech these days? I mean, I guess –
0: it's definitely – in the Dread world, it is – it's it's on the menu if you're rich enough for sure. sure. Yeah. Like it's, We've seen a fair – we've seen a reasonable amount of brain transplants, I'd say, mm, mm. both into human and robot bodies. There was one story where some guy got his – couldn't afford a human body to be transplanted or a robot body to be transplanted into. So he went to like Mexico and got an illegal brain transplant into the body of like a dog. Which is really weird. <laughs> Oh yeah, hmm. like they had to. They had to use a Rottweiler because Rottweilers' um, heads are so big. Ah, right. And they're like, "Yeah, listen, we'll put your brain in there. It's not the head's big. It's not quite big enough to fit your whole brain, but we'll just take out some unimportant parts, so it won't be that bad." All right.
1: <laughs> and that's the moral. Uh, yeah, and I think this uh, guy who's just a head. I think he just wanted uh, some more messed up people like him around because he's out. Uh, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a sick, twisted mind. So him cloning himself absolutely. like, Oh, they're into what I'm into. Yeah, let's uh let's all pretend like this is normal.
0: Sure. I think that makes sense for sure. <laughs> all right, Eli. So we finished all the stories for this these two months of the Judge Dread magazine. That's exciting. Yeah. Time flies. Moving our way through nineteen ninety one, absolutely. So because of that, I have one question for you, which is what were your top and bottom stories for January and February nineteen ninety one of the Judge Dread magazine?
1: Now you think I'd uh, think of this before t- beforehand and not uh, have to figure this out after you ask. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you,
0: I, I frequently do it on the fly. Just for the record, like don't don't feel bad about
1: that. Um, I did really like um, uh, America this last time. Um, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just you know learning about. Ne- Throat surgery and guy mm. getting a robotic voice, it would get a little bit of a sex scene. I feel like it, that it just kind of had a little bit of everything. There was suspense, there was drama, there was you know. Uh, and I, as I said I'm really um, liking the art from that that comic. So mm. um, yeah, it's, it's quickly r- uh, rising in rank uh, in my perspective. But I think that's just because Kenny Who's not here anymore. So uh, like, <laughs> there's no 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 uh, no one to compete that way. Uh, but that's it's also trouble because now we got these this new guy. We got um, uh, the pregnant gangster. Uh, what's his? Um, Al, yeah, out, Al, baby. baby. Uh, or just Al, yeah. Which is, you know, filling up that humor slot. Uh, but um, mm-hmm. just due to me not being as familiar with these characters, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the uh, first place to uh, America. Nice. Um, so, let's see. So, last slot. Hmm. Let's see. Hmm. That's tough, but I think I'm gonna have to begrudgingly give last place to uh, Chopper, uh, mm. uh, just because I feel like at least these last couple chapters, they it's been a lot of dialogue and character building. They haven't advanced, and you know they've they've dangled a guy by his ankles, you know, threatened him, you know, they yeah. they've killed a couple people, a lot of sad stuff has been happening. But I find myself lost into the grand scheme of things like, okay, so what is actually what what are they waiting on? I feel like they're building up to this big climax and they're just not there yet. And these Mm. are all the small steps they need to take in order to get there. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, setting up episode uh, right. is, is, is a term I've used for that, where they're right. sort of like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: usually, I think Judge Death would, uh, you know, um, Young Death would take this lot, but they actually are now getting into some of the meat. So I'm, I'm kind of excited that we're finally starting to see a little bit more about uh, Judge Death. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was almost Judge Death. It was, it was very close between Judge Death and Chopper. Uh, but I am... I think I'm just so excited about seeing how ugly Judge Death is was as a kid that I'm giving it that little bit of bump that it needs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I might join I, – I I think I'll join you with a Chopper as my bottom story. It's fine but definitely like – I don't know if I like this uh, Batman-y turn <laughs> that, that that Chopper's taken or whatever. Right. Like it seems a little weird and I definitely – like I definitely didn't like that – I don't know, that, that we're sort of continuing this theory that Chopper's just sort of doing this stuff because he's like, I don't know, an adrenaline junkie and none of it matters or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just because like Charlene makes a decent point about defending your home and stuff and that mm-hmm. seems like a good a, – a very good reason to fight for me – to me I guess. Right.
1: And I, I'm wondering because I know um, sometimes in the narrative, you know, the writer has this, you know – uh, like, in life, you go through these things, and you're doing stuff, and sometimes you're not actually sure why you're doing it. It just seems like the mm-hmm. thing to do. Uh, yeah. So I know sometimes writers or creators will create multiple perspectives on the same action so that, like, mm. this character thinks that this is why they're doing it, and then this character right. thinks this is why. Uh, And I think it allows the reader to, like, make their own decision, like, hey, it could be because he's adrenaline junky, but hey, maybe it's destiny, and it... Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Maybelline, you know, you just, he's all these reasons. Uh, For
0: sure. Although I think, you know, I, I, I've definitely read stories like that, but I don't know. This chopper story feels pretty cut and dry in terms of Mm. that stuff. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if it actually is, if if it can really get that deep, I guess. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, and then for my top, um, I might say Al- Al's Baby this time. I definitely really liked America for what you talked about, but I really just like this opening of Al's Baby. I think it's really funny. um, And just sort of the way that all these characters get set up, but like they're such, like, broad stereotypes mm-hmm. and, like, silly things that I just really like them all kind of coming together and stuff like that. You know, like, everybody – everyone you meet is this character that you – it like like – if you're like me and you've watched a lot of mob movies or anything else, you kind of instantly know who all these characters are just by looking at them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because of that, it's really funny when little things subvert them or when there's all these little jokes and stuff. And then I really love Carlos um, Ascara's art as well. He's one of my favorite artists. And mm-hmm. so him mm-hmm. getting in here for a funny story, which I think he likes to draw also, is a really is, – is a treat. I, I really like Al's baby. <laughs> nah. All Great right. Choice. Yeah, I think it's all good. You know, there's decent stuff in these early days of the magazine. I think they're definitely... Like, honestly, there's a bunch of stories in here that are kind of what are considered classics by um, by 2080 fans. Like, I'd say America certainly... Um, uh, Young Death and, uh, Al's Baby, all are sort of, you know, I mean, at the beginning of the show, it's a telling thing that, like, I'm saying, like, sh- look at their, the, at, at the, you, you could follow along in the collection for those stories because those are very much comics that are, um, like out and available just collecting these, like, couple weeks of the, or a couple months of the magazine in the, in, um, with those tales in them. <laughs> but yeah so i hope everybody enjoyed the show as always you can find find big meg one on itunes stitch google play store spotify or a podcast site at bigmeg one.com feel free to contact us at bigmeg one at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our facebook instagram and twitter pages for all those check out big meg one with the numeral one and you'll find us this show is brought to you by steve green and your friends at the 2080 forums if you'd like to join them and help support the show we truly appreciate it please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD and the Meg, and even monthly Q and a episodes with Fox and Conrad from space spinner. Come back next time as we'll reach the end of both chopper and America have some quality bonding with judge death and his dad, uh, now we'll deal with some morning sickness, we'll see some strange cases, and the evil Nosferatu returns. Wrap his name in blood! And until then, I'm Conrad, there Eli, and we are Big Neck One, down by Jaws!